what I've always said, which sometimes my opinion's not like the crowd favorite, but it's, I think that we need to be at the same level of safety as it is to get into a concert or to get into a nightclub. I don't think that these types of events and venues should be considered a free for all just because it's cannabis. It should be taken seriously. And, and the guest and like the guest interactions with the staff should be looked at as the same level as um, the bartender's responsibility. When you have to take the like alcohol training course to be a bartender in Las Vegas, 80% of the course is teaching you how to make sure your guest isn't too fucked up to like hurt themselves or someone else. You're listening to conversations. You don't know that when you're drinking at the bar, the bartender is listening to you, making sure that you're not getting too hammered. You know, it's part of the job. So for us, it's about making sure that people who are working the events and everybody who's kind of involved has the guest state guest safety at the forefront You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And before we get into the episode, I just wanted to do a quick pulse and check in with y'all. If you're in Texas, you're probably anticipating the January 28th hearing for Delta 8. And as of right now, it is quote unquote legal in Texas. And I'm sure more to come as we get closer to that date. But as of now, things seem to be kind of quiet down here in the Lone Star State. Maybe I shouldn't breathe that into existence because it always feels like something is brewing in this industry. However, as of right now, it appears to be business as usual. I'm seeing as well as selling hemp-derived Delta 9 products hitting the market. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with what I'm saying, kind of with everything that's been going on with Delta 8, I've started to see this shift in the introduction of hemp-derived Delta 9 products. And the way the Farm Bill was written back in 2018 actually allows for up to 0.3% of Delta 9 THC by weight, so long as it is hemp-derived. And for the last few years, no one had really productized that information, to my knowledge, in the capacity we are seeing it in the market presently. But I'm seeing it from a lot of Texas brands, like I said, myself included, and also brands who are popping up nationally. Remember, this is the federal law, and as long as we have 0.3% THC by weight, it's legal. So it's kind of bizarre because if you make a heavy enough product, you discover you can pack quite a handful milligrams of Delta 9 THC, and you can, in theory, ship those products across state lines. I know it's wild, and I'm grabbing my popcorn, waiting for the state or the feds to acknowledge this loophole, but it's there, and the consumers are loving it. If you happen to be someone with more knowledge of exactly how the hemp-derived Delta 9 thing works, I have some personal thoughts and opinions, of course, 
And I'm just putting it out there. Here's a thought. For states like Texas, where medical marijuana is predominantly capped at 1% THC and also really limited to edibles, how that now competes with the hemp-derived Delta 9 market where, yes, we're capped at 0.3%, but for example, you can have a gummy that equals out to 10 milligrams of Delta 9 possible because of the weight of the gummy. And you don't have to qualify for a condition. You don't have to go see a doctor, pay a doctor, or pay the fee every month to maintain your prescription. And again, it's federally legal thanks to the Farm Bill, so you can travel with it. I know, I just had to say it. So yes, if you have thoughts or comments, I'd love to connect on social media and you can find me on the gram at tobebluntpod. Now, moving on to today's episode featuring my guest, Jen Tremaglino, also known affectionately by her friends and peers as Jen T. She's the founder of Connect Hospitality, a cannabis-focused hospitality development and events company based in Nevada. Prior to founding Connect in 2018, she was a team member at cannabis publication Dope Magazine, helping them establish their Nevada footprint. And from 2004 to 2015, she was the chief of staff and partner at The Light Group and Click Hospitality, where she developed, marketed, and operated nightclubs, bars, pools, and restaurants for MGM Resorts, Morgan's Hotel Group, and Station Casinos. If you haven't guessed it by now, with Jen's background in hospitality and events, today's episode is all about the experience and community of cannabis events. And we want to kick it off really by talking about the introduction of consumption lounges, which have officially been legalized in Nevada, as well as we know both marijuana is medical and recreational in that state as well. So the idea of cannabis being incorporated into events, dinner parties, these clubs, these pools, these spas, experience, et cetera, and more is only going to continue to gain steam as these lounges and licenses open up. And for the rest of the country, we see glimmers of this. Hollywood has legalized consumption lounges, and Denver just opened up licensure for hospitality licenses. So the idea of cannabis hospitality isn't new, but it isn't as evolved as other aspects of the industry quite yet, and I think that is part because of the nature of cannabis. Like, step one, open up streams for consumers to purchase cannabis for themselves or their loved ones legally. Step 45, open up streams for on-premise consumption or the introduction of cannabis-friendly locations, lounges, event spaces, and events. Not only is Jen a hospitality veteran in the capital of hospitality, but she has a tenured background in the cannabis industry as well. We discussed what goes into the legality of being able to put on and host cannabis-specific events, what steps you have to go through to train your event staff on how to manage cannabis consumption. We had a whole conversation around just like how alcohol works. And if you're a bartender, you're supposed to be monitoring your guests for how many drinks they've had. And with cannabis, you don't really sober up after you've had an edible, for example. So how do you navigate that as an industry that wants to have very much the same type of experiences and opportunities as, for example, the alcohol industry being 
available and leverage for the cannabis industry. So she really helps provide a lens on that discussion, as well as we talk about how this evolution is helping to continue to further normalize cannabis and why. So with that said, let's get right to the episode. Please welcome Jen onto the show and join me by lighting one up. My name is Jen T and my full last name is Traumaglino, but I've gone by Jen T for a really long time because it's just hard to say and spell and pronounce. So that's my name. I'm from Las Vegas and I actually grew up in Arizona and went to school in Arizona and I've been living back in Las Vegas since 2004. I moved back here when I was 22 And I started working for a company called The Light Group back then. And I worked with them for 12 years, learning everything there is to know about marketing and hospitality. And when that company sold to Hakkasan Group, I launched my own company, which is, well, I actually have a couple different marketing agencies. So I have one company, which is called Little Cream Soda, and that does all traditional marketing and hospitality event production, like kind of that company was more for specifically events and marketing like initiatives, I guess, or projects. And then I worked with a lot of different liquor companies and did a lot of different like Las Vegas events in the nightlife scene with that company. And I moved to Amsterdam in 2016 and kind of was working remotely from there. Nothing officially, but while I was living there, decided that I was going to open a company there to do the same thing. So I got a Dutch visa and was planning to stay in the Netherlands and just was like, okay, this is the place for me. I love being around like this type of, I don't know, like culture and also just like frame of mind, I guess. Like it was just a really interesting place to actually like live your life. But I came home to visit for Thanksgiving. And I actually ended up staying in the US after that, working on a couple more big projects with Click Hospitality, who was the old CEO and and owner of the Light Group from before. So I was working with Click. And I kind of just didn't really feel like it was the, I mean, it was like right at the time, but I just didn't think that it was what I, I mean, my heart wanted to do. Like I really had this inkling to be doing something with cannabis and out of nowhere, I got a job offer to work with dope magazine and the crew from dope, the guys who own it just like completely took me under their wing and were like, I don't know, getting my my start in the cannabis industry with them was like the best thing that could have possibly ever happened to me because I got to launch the Nevada office and magazine. They had done a soft launch, but they hadn't really had someone like working boots on the ground in Nevada. And so it was awesome getting to launch the magazine with them here and kind of come into the industry from a completely neutral place and get to do events and stuff that I really like to do, socializing, going to parties. Like it was really fun how I got started with them. And right away, I realized there was all this stuff happening around social consumption, public consumption, and everything that I liked doing with Dope. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to start a company that is focused on the future of cannabis consumption. But I want to, along the way, do all the things that we like to do, 
throw fun parties, do experiential activations. That was another thing that you said that I said, you know, we have in common too, you know, and then building brands, getting to do branding, getting to do marketing, all the stuff that I really like to do. I said, okay, well, let's do that along the way while we plan for the future of building hospitality venues that then we'll do all of the stuff that we know about marketing for those venues. So it's been kind of a loop around process to get to like the present day of the story, which is my current title of founder and founding partner and CEO of Connect Hospitality, which is a cannabis company that combines all of those things I just talked about. So event planning and production for both consumption and non-consumption events that are just more like networking or business events or, you know, stuff that you don't smoke at. Then also doing marketing for, we do client-based marketing for Right now, our main client is Cure Leaf Dispensary and Select Cannabis. And then we are working in a some capacity with a few clients in other states, but we do mostly uh, category exclusive. So while we're working with like one main client to produce marketing for them, we don't really do the same thing for another main client. So we're working with them right now. We're very excited for the future of consumption because it's actually here. (laughs) The future is now. We've got laws passing, which I'm sure we'll talk about too in Nevada now, where we're actually able to start building these venues. So that's kind of my story start to finish, I guess, in a little nutshell um, of how I got here to the point I'm at to owning Connect, and then a little bit about my like nightlife and hospitality background. No, I loved it. I'm so fascinated, and my listeners know a little bit of of this about me. And and obviously, we talked prior to hitting record, and I shared I come from experiential marketing and events and branding, and and branding being the extension of that, which is kind of like the foundation for this podcast. So, like everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, okay, let's like dive in. And so, you know. I do have a good understanding of kind of the experiential marketing world, but I, you know, point blank, like I do not put on consumption events or like cannabis events to the extent that you're obviously executing on. And so kind of for the listeners to frame it up, I'd love to start just, what does it look like? I mean, when you're talking about like these events for these brands, I know they range, but kind of getting into the differences between a traditional, maybe, you know, using Las Vegas as the prime example, a lot of events happen there. A lot of big brands come to do activations there. What does a typical event look like compared to maybe some of the challenges of like doing it for cannabis? Like basically what did you learn as you were transitioning into the industry? Like, Oh, when we're going to like do this thing that is so maybe cut and paste because you've done it for all these other brands. Maybe what are some of those unknowns or like roadblocks that you were encountering when you were like emerging in the cannabis industry to do kind of a same, same, but different approach from a hospitality perspective? So here in Nevada, the biggest difference between a traditional hospitality event that you would just like say, throw at a restaurant where you do the private buyout, select the menu book the DJ or whatever other entertainment, decor, whatever it's on. With the cannabis events, and this is especially in Nevada because we have, well, up until this point, we didn't really have any regulation around it. There's a lot of actual unknowns of what's legal and what's not legal. So even just finding the venues that you're able to host an event at, 
and not even an event that you're asking to consume at, just events that are friendly for the cannabis industry. A lot of restaurants, they don't even necessarily want to host an event. It doesn't matter if you're asking to consume or not. They just can't have their liability and it's like a high risk for them. We were... And if any venue has a gaming license, even if the ownership is attached to gaming, they wouldn't want to produce a cannabis event or be cannabis friendly inside their venue. So that's been a big limitation, just finding like the cool spot, because you obviously just want to throw the party inside the nightclub at the Venetian or inside the nightclub at the Bellagio or wherever. Right. But that's not not like a possibility right now. So creative ways to build out unique spaces and take a space that maybe isn't that unique, or it's like one of the only ones that we can have an event at and then building it into something really awesome. No, that's totally something that I wasn't even thinking about. I mean, when you kind of step back and you understand all the challenges that operating in the cannabis industry kind of places on plant touching and non-plant touching. I mean, like, obviously, like you just said, a lot of what you do, maybe your client is plant touching, but you just like putting on an event where there's maybe not even consumption happening. It's just, Hey, we want to get a bunch of cannabis people together. I can imagine that there are some weird gray areas where certain types of businesses or entities don't want to commingle and kind of going into that just because I think that it's you know, kind of to set the stage as well. And you kind of tease it up a little bit and, you know, to make a reference to an episode I had just released with Tina, who I know is a friend and colleague of yours with the Chamber of Cannabis, also reflecting kind of what's going on in Nevada, you know, consumption lounges and consuming on premise is a huge opportunity for the industry, for the state, and ultimately for you and your clients considering. And I know you also do events and do work outside of the state of Nevada, but just using kind of Las Vegas as that prime kind of example, walking us through. I mean, you said it was like gray. You didn't know if you could or couldn't do certain things. Does the introduction of the consumption lounge and on-premise consumption, like what does that change and what does that open up? And is it implemented yet or is it coming? And kind of how does that work in relationship to what you were having to maybe dance around prior to what you're able to now kind of execute knowing that the laws are evolving? And it sounds like evolving in your favor, but we know that they're probably not done evolving and there still needs to be more shaping of the laws. But just kind of from your perspective, how has that change in legislature affected what you do and how you do what you do for your clients? So two ways, actually. And it was a multi-step process, I guess I'll say. And Tina was involved both times. So it's like the best. So in December of 2020, there was a letter released from the Cannabis Compliance Board that gave an outline of how to request approval from them to host a consumption event that a brand, a Nevada brand, can be a part of. So that was the first time that we had gotten any information from them around like what you're actually allowed to do. Up until that point, you were allowed to only host an event at a private residence, and that was it. So this opened the door of, okay, well, the compliance board is talking about consumption. It's the middle of the pandemic and they're still talking about it. Like it was kind of like, okay, this is not stopped at a complete halt. You know, we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen with the legislation, if they were going to continue talking about consumption. And as things progressed, they started announcing they were going to have meetings. They were going to be putting the commissions together to talk about consumption. And as that started taking place, we said, okay, 
things are like moving in the right direction now again. And we knew that there was going to be a legislative session happening where they would have the opportunity to pass a bill. And the bill that was passed, AB 341, has a lot of great like outline of kind of the safe way, I guess, to do things. You know, they took a lot of the recommendations. The committees along the way have been taking everything very seriously about, you know, air quality controls and parts per milligram of what's in the air, how they want the HVAC systems to run. So it's actually been, as much as we don't love to be regulated in a high-risk industry like this, when there's not a regulation, you kind of don't know what to do. And that was the space we were existing in for so long. We wanted to start building operational plans for clients, but we had no idea what they were going to be. So it was, okay, we want to start helping the clients get going, but we don't even know what type of building to recommend or how many feet it has to be from a place. Someone could want to get a lease on a spot and it's not even going to be in the right zoning area. So With the passing of this, we were able to now start looking at what type of recommendations we want to make. Clients from other states that want to come into Nevada and start lounges, we're working with those types of clients again. And it really just was able to like get us back activated on that side of things, which when before the legislation passed, we had no idea if they were even going to talk about this ever again in light of what was going on with the pandemic or is going on with the pandemic and having to be really like considerate of all of that. Connect, we are also partnered with Top Shelf Bud Tending. Andrew Muir is the founder of that company. And they've been serving cannabis consumption guests in other states for years and years and years, far before us. I mean, I was consuming in lots of different states, but they've been actually serving guests for consumption events. And we loved working with them because they took all of the safety precautions as as serious as we did. So we've been excited to follow along now with everything that's getting put into place and being able to participate in the process and make comment and submit suggestions and submit operational things. And that's really been like the best part is that everything's like happening again, basically. No, that's really helpful to frame up because it's so fascinating to me. I mean, to give you and the listeners some, you know, spectrum. I grew up in Austin and Austin is home to South by Southwest, which is a massive festival, which I think a huge component of the festival is these after parties, is these supplemental events. And so I grew up, you know, going to the Amazon party, the New York Times party, insert whatever major band is YouTube's doing an event. You know, Vivo at the time was doing these events and they were these huge brands that were trying to come and activate. And then sometimes you'd see different TV shows. They do all these, you know, big investments. I remember one year there was some TV show that came and installed a Ferris wheel in downtown Austin. And it was all just, you know, for photos and promoting this new season. And so it's like these experiential events are not new, but obviously when you introduce cannabis into it, and I think always as a blanket statement, like you want to create an experience that's safe. And you talk about that a lot, right? And so I think from my background as well, understanding that line of like, okay, I want to create an environment where obviously the brand is being shown off and they're getting great engagement. It's buzzworthy. Like you want people to be taking pictures and promoting it and like creating you know, awareness around the activation. But then there's like the line of like, okay, well, did we overconsume alcohol, just safety, capacity, things like that? So like events in general, I think kind of teeter this line of 
you want to create buzz and hype, but you also don't want to create chaos. And, you know, I'm only bringing this up kind of in this framework as well, because it just kind of recently happened, but like, obviously not, not exactly the same, but like the Astro World incident, I happened to be in Houston speaking at a cannabis conference that was across the street from it. And it's like, all the chaos around what happened of capacity and too many and like drug usage and things like that, right? That are components of events in general, which now when you're introducing the hospitality side of it, right? So very different than what you're doing, right? You're trying to create a safe space. You want to introduce standard operating procedures. You want there to be safety, but you still want that hype to be there. Kind of how do you navigate that when it's cannabis. I think using alcohol as the example of, obviously you want to not overserve people. You want to set limits, but there is sometimes, you know, open bar parties. How does that work from a cannabis perspective? And does the law speak to some of that overconsumption? Is it even speak about that? I mean, obviously again, from a production perspective, you want to implement the safety and make sure someone doesn't Overconsume too much of the cannabis product. But I'm just curious from your expertise, your position, and just running really well executed cannabis events. I mean, your roster of clients are some really well known brands who are leading the charge when it comes to how this is done successfully. Just knowing that obviously not everything that is done successfully doesn't come without some like hurdles that you have to kind of push through. So that was a whirlwind of a question and kind of like a statement, but I'm just curious again, from your perspective, kind of, you know, how do you start to navigate that and, and what are some best practices? Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. There's a lot. So, yes, there's a million, zillion things I could say about Astro World. I just think we have, don't have enough time to unpack all it's of fair. the theories about that. But the, overall, that was a really sad and horrible, awful tragedy that, like, I am, I still, like, right when you said it, I got, like, emotional. Like, oh, for sure. The whole thing is just horrible. And, it's yes, safety planning for large scale events like that has to be key. We don't typically produce events that scale around cannabis. I think, you know, the companies that I've worked with, Dope Magazine, they have produced some large scale dope cups that I've been excited to, and like fortunate enough to be a part of. But they do everything with, you know, compliance in mind, guest safety in mind. The events that we've been producing in Nevada have been, I'd say, smaller compared to what you've even been able to do in other states, right? So here, a lot of times, we don't even have consumption at the event. Like, we're not servicing consumption here. We are more producing. And this is where, like, having an experiential background or having a traditional hospitality background has been really cool for us and having lots of different people that we can tap in around town and say, hey, can you help produce this event with us or work with us or build this thing for us? And then getting to produce like 
a hospitality scale, traditional hospitality, something that you would see, really cool build-outs and activations, and are not even offering any cannabis. We just did, okay, so this was one of my favorite things we've ever built. We just worked with uh, Fairchild, who is the team from Dope. Now they own uh, Fairchild Events, and they produced the Zodiac event at the industrial event space here in Las Vegas. And for one of our clients, Cultiva Law, we built out like a a lounge space and their gift to the room were um, like two different luxury energy drinks. One was like a psychedelic water that gives you a little bit of a head change. And then the other one was like a, a really nice like neurotropic energy drink. So I think it's cool to see the blend of that where you're not... It's no longer really about like the open bar, although that's there, you know, or the drinks, the co- the alcoholic drinks are available. I think that what we're kind of leaning towards and, and being excited to lean into are the THC infused beverages, the CBD infused beverages, neurotropics, entheogens and psychedelics where they're available. They're not available here. The psychedelic water I referred to was kava. It wasn't mushroom water, although that'd be amazing. But, you know, kind of leaning into that and when we're creating the operational plans, knowing that especially here in Las Vegas, we are going to have that bachelorette party who's been drinking at the pool all day. Someone in the crew is going to want to go to the consumption lounge. So they're going to all come and maybe one or two out of the crew have experience with cannabis And then we know they're going to be consuming. And so it's really about putting in SOPs where your staff are trained and they actually care, right? Like we want the staff to actually care about this, you know, the guests not only having a good time, but making sure they're safe during the experience and get home safe. So that's like point of entry. You know, most hotels have a valet. You have to give your keys to the valet. Then you go inside. Then there's a doorman. Like, you know, there's people kind of checking you before you get all the way to the bartender even to get the first drink. Your ID maybe has been checked a couple of times in a regular nightclub situation. So what I've always said, which sometimes my opinion's not like the crowd favorite, but it's, I think that we need to be at the same level of safety as it is to get into a concert or to get into a nightclub. I don't think that these types of events and venues should be considered a free for all just because it's cannabis. It should be taken seriously. And, and the guest and like the guest interactions with the staff should be looked at as the same level as um, the bartender's responsibility. When you have to take the like alcohol training course to be a bartender in Las Vegas, 80% of the course is teaching you how to make sure your guest isn't too fucked up to like hurt themselves or someone else. You're listening to conversations. You don't know that when you're drinking at the bar, the bartender is listening to you, making sure that you're not getting too hammered. You know, it's part of the job. So for us, it's about making sure that people who are working the events and everybody who's kind of involved has the guest sta- guest safety at the forefront and even being like overcautious, even though it's like I said, not always the coolest thing. I'm not always the coolest person. I'm the safest person. <laughs> No, I appreciate you saying all that because I think that is kind of the unknown where you're taking this traditional realm of hospitality where there are for sure checks and balances like you highlighted, you know, you're training your staff, you having you have these standard operating procedures, but I think there is again that unknown with cannabis because with alcohol 
there is a little bit of a more, you'd have a drink and then you can wait a couple hours. It's not that it's exiting your system, but you know, that compared to which, you know, I was actually at the the Sensi party. So like great job producing that. That was such a fun event. This was my first MJ BizCon and, and I was able to be a part of that party and it was just so fascinating. So for me, I got again, coming from like a South by Southwest and experiential marketing background, I was like, what the fuck? Like there's an activation where there's a cannabis beverage. And then there was, you know, a dab bar. And then there were all these other little different rooms, but knowing personally, I can realistically only hit the dab once or twice for the night. Like I consume a lot, but I don't consume a lot of dabs partially because I'm in Texas and it's really difficult to get concentrates like that. But you know, just again, like being somebody with that background and being in that event, it was like, whoa, I was just trying to kind of like get a feel for it, understand, you know, how do you step into safety? And so you touched on it. And I'm curious just to get a little bit more insight from you because it is such an important component of executing these events and knowing that the industry is only going to trend towards more. I mean, I know Nevada passed this law, but I believe Illinois is also working on consumption on premise. California has it in a few instances and there's different kind of like flares of it happening. But as we trend towards legalization, you're going to see more of this, right? And so it, it comes back to what you said, training your staff and being smart to understand and pick up on maybe social cues or conversations or just like perception, watching kind of what's going on. And so I'm curious how that training maybe is same, same, but different to when you're doing alcohol bartender training, because again, you can have a drink or two, have a couple waters, maybe wait a couple hours, and then maybe go back to the bar and have another drink. But in my, again, personal experience, I cannot have like, you know, four or five hits from a dab bar, walk away for an hour and then come back to a dab bar. So how do you see that training component being integral in the success of these particular the on-premise consumption aspect of it, right? I think it'll be a mix of understanding what the guest tolerance level is already, which is something that you don't have to assess normally with alcohol. You might hear someone say, oh my gosh, I'm such a lightweight or oh, I'm only having one drink tonight or something, right? Where you're like, okay, I kind of know I got to watch that one a little bit, you know, or they, they come in a little drunk and you're like, okay, they've already consumed today. Well, with cannabis, it's not really as obvious. So, you know, you kind of have to intake the guest and do a little bit of questioning to see what their tolerance level is. Not a lot of places do that. You can do that or not. Like I said, that's like something you don't do with alcohol or have to make assumptions about with alcohol. And then metabolizing cannabis. It depends on what they're consuming. You know, I think we all know there's a huge difference, like you said, between taking five dabs, taking five hits of a joint or eating five gummies. All different experiences are going to happen. And depending on your tolerance level, again, all different experiences, depending on what you ate that day, if like how your sugar levels are, and then there's ways to combat it. So there's been lots of <clears throat> discussion. There's been lots of discussion about what are the ways to like combat overconsumption. And there's, you know, I'll preface this with, I'm no, not a physician, nor do I know that this is 100% fact, but there's different ways to help someone who's overconsumed by um, giving them something that's going to get their blood sugar up immediately. So like eating like something that's sugary or a piece of fruit, something like that, that'll get the blood sugar back up. CBD 
And some of the other certain cannabinoids can be used to counteract the effects of THC or some of the cannabinoids that are going to give you that type of an effect. You know, water, food, all of the different things that you would give someone who's overconsumed alcohol. You know, you don't need to treat, uh, again, this is like another thing that's like one of the things we've heard, but you know, it's very difficult to overdose on cannabis. So although you might be uncomfortable for a while or have maybe some, you know, not feeling so great emotionally or mentally, physically, you might feel the effects for a while, but you're going to be okay in the end. That's why I also like saying that, you know, we promote that you, if you're going to a cannabis event, that you take a ride at all of my events that I host personally, I make it very well known that if anybody can't drive at the end, I will personally get them the ride that they need home. That's like never a question. And that's kind of how I think that the venues and any large scale events should be run as well. Like I said earlier, you know, we rely on the valet of the hotel also to be a check and balance. There was times in my twenties, plenty of times in my twenties, I didn't get my keys back from valet and they were not shy about telling me, sorry, sorry, Charlie, you're not getting your keys. You're hammered. And so I just, again, feel like this needs to be on some levels. If the only time we ever compare it to alcohol, it's with making sure that the person can at least drive home. And I think that most consumers of cannabis can drive home fine. It's when you have the bachelorette party or whatever, a group of people who have been consuming other things all day. That's kind of, it's one of those, like, it's, you got to watch out for the other guy on the road. It's not me, it's them. Like, it really feel that way with these venues. It's, it's, it's going to be the people who are already maybe consumed something else and it's not as obvious and they don't talk about it or whatever it is. But I've also seen people like take too many dabs and then not be able to drive. But that's when it's like, just enjoy the party for a little longer and hang out, go to the, go do their activation and their activation, then go eat something over there and then go have some CBD at their activation and then come back. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely like having that industry knowledge though, as well as like just what you're presenting to that group, right? And I think that that is where there's so much excitement around cannabis and consuming and like introducing it into the hospitality and event space, but also I think so much trepidation, right? Because I think there's a lot of people who let's be really honest, they might say that they care about the things that you say that you care about or that I also care about, but their execution of it might not be as thoughtful. And I think that's where maybe the pendulum swings, you know, so far in the other direction that we over, I think over index sometimes and then can create negative scenarios. And so I guess like from my perspective, I'm just so excited about the opportunity that these laws are opening up for how we get to interact with cannabis from uh, engaging with different brands. Like, I think it's so fun. Again, reflecting on my experience with South by like, I thought it was so cool when I got to go to a YouTube party. Like YouTube brought some dope bands out. I think they had Taco Bell sponsor one year. And like, I love Taco Bell in my twenties and like getting to go to a party where there's a platter of, you know, free Taco Bell walking out to you. Like, that's cool. And again, it kind of like hits all that hype that I think for me really resonates around experiential marketing. Like to me, it's the, it's like tactical, like you can actually touch and feel and experience what that brand like coming to life is like. And so of course, as a cannabis consumer, like again, when I walked into MJ biz, just in general, I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like people were, oh yeah, like here's an edible, here's a vape cartridge, here's a dab bar. And I saw the lens of what I experienced at previous events happening, but in the back of my mind, always knowing like, 
how like how does this get done knowing that there's just so many new consumers, so many unknowns when it comes to the regulations. And so, yeah, I just think you like helped connect some dots that I certainly had, especially knowing that, you know, I mean, I think from a side tangent perspective as well, you know, and I'm curious if you have any experience of any of your events have done like dining experiences, but I think incorporating cannabis into food and beverage is an interesting kind of like part of the industry, right? And so I've been invited to a couple, both THC and CBD dinners separate, you know? And like, to me, my question when I was at both of those dinners, and maybe I paid attention to it or not, you know, was still, well, how many milligrams am I consuming? I wanted to know how many milligrams was in the cocktail, how many milligrams was in the first course, how many milligrams was in everything else I was consuming, not to mention the joints on the table. And I went to one event and they had a drum of like, oil. And it was like, yeah, it's like roughly five milligrams per drizzle. And you're like, I should drink this whole thing, I suppose, because I really want to enjoy myself at this party. But I just, I hear about people who are like, ooh, you know, as consumption opportunities open up, like in events with cannabis, like, ooh, I want to go put these dinner parties on. And that to me is exciting and also a little cautious just because again, I think when you're eating cannabis, it creates that other layer of you better be prepared and hold on for the ride because once it's digesting in your body, it's not going to fade as fast as if you took a couple hits of a joint. And so I'm curious, uh, do you participate or put on any kind of like food-related cannabis events? And, and do you feel that there's any slightly different kind of precautions or takeaways that you've observed from those types of events? So yes and no. I don't produce as many cannabis infused food events, but my partners do or have had in the past. I think it's a little tricky, but we are now, the reason it's so tricky is because of what you said, making sure that the amount of milligrams that everybody's consuming is always consistent. And that's a little tricky. So right now, part of the bill that was passed in Nevada allows for infusion of food in the venues. And this is actually the first time ever that mm -hmm. there's a law that's allowing for the food to actually be infused. They have laws in San Francisco where you can heat up an edible in like a microwave for a guest, but it's a prepackaged lab tested edible. So here now they're saying that you'll actually be able to serve infused food in the venues. So we're working right now and it's, you know, part of what the public health department is working on here is what's the best way to do this so that it is consistent every time in the event space, you know, we've been attending events that are hosted, let's say at a residence, a private event, and everything's compliant. And then there's an amazing cannabis chef who's preparing the meals. So we really rely on the chefs most of the time in those situations where they're, they're telling us what's going on. Now that it's going to be in the legal side and it's in the, well, I'll say regulated side, they're now talking about, okay, is it a syringe that has 10 doses in it and you're using that? Or is it a 10 milligram dose that you have to open and pour out? A 10 milligram dose you have to open and pour out. And that's all kind of being decided right now. So the recommendations have been made to the Cannabis Compliance Board and then they'll decide what uh, the recommendations from the committees and commissions that were put together to discuss this have submitted their recommendations and now the compliance board will decide. So 
We'll find out soon how that's going to look in like the restaurant setting. And I think that that will affect the event setting now, because like I said, it's really just been up to the chef to tell us where now they're saying there'll be lab tested product involved. I mean, there was always probably lab tested product involved, but they're now saying, will it be final lab tested product that the guest is consuming in some places, the laws that were uh, passed in West Hollywood you're allowed to have the guests like sprinkle it on themselves. So even the cafe that was open there, that was how they were doing it was would have the guests like pre-purchase and then dose it themselves. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's again, one of those things, like it's a natural progression. I think if you are a human and you go to events and you consume cannabis in general, like at some point you want to kind of experience all of it together at the same time. And obviously to creating differentiation between like coming to a party where someone is maybe serving their product that is prepackaged. Maybe it's an edible company versus now you're going to a dinner party and the chef is wanting to curate a menu and it's supposed to be incorporated into each dish. And so again, just my brain is like swirling of like opportunity and also like caution of just like, how do we navigate this in the safest way possible? And also kind of learn from, as you highlighted as well, right? You know, what are we learning from some of these other markets that have already kind of like cracked the door open? So like West Hollywood being one that is is doing consumption lounges and incorporating it into food and beverage and things like that. And so really just helpful, you know, food for thought, literally and figuratively of how do we pay attention to these trends that are not going anywhere, but are not finalized either. And as they're evolving, right? How do you kind of keep track of it? So kind of to transition, I am curious, you know, you've thrown some events for some amazing brands. I mean, you mentioned with Fairchild for the Sweet Sensi, or sorry, the Sensi event in Vegas during MJ Biz. You've worked with High Times, Dope Magazine, Women Grow. I mean, the breadth of brands and the breadth of the types of events. I mean, I saw some were like membership drives and some were, you know, actual cannabis cups. And it seems like some are more, you know, exclusive, maybe invite only versus open to the public. Kind of what have been some of your favorite events that you've been able to execute and what made them so fun and memorable for you to put them together? Okay, so you just mentioned membership drive, which we did a membership drive or like a membership event with the NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association. And I kind of actually remember when we got that party, we did it at 7th and Carson, which is a restaurant here in downtown Las Vegas that I'm a marketing partner for. And I kind of remember thinking like, this is really cool. Like the NCIA is a national organization. They want to do this networking business mixer at my restaurant, you know, we had like been doing parties and events and stuff, but it was just like, it was cool to have, it was completely like no consumption intended, totally, you know, a networking mixer. And we kind of, after that started kicking off, I mean, we have hosted so many networking mixers at that restaurant now. And honestly, getting to blend the the mix of our traditional hospitality venue with the cannabis industry, I felt like did help normalize a lot of things because we would have, you know, assembly people and senators and the governor. I mean, the mayor stops by this restaurant, like the mayor has dinner in our restaurant every once in a while, you know, so getting to blend kind of all of that together 
was really cool for me. So that was the membership drive that you brought up. But some of my other most memorable events that we've done, you know, we worked with Cannabition, the Cannabis Museum that was here in Las Vegas, and we produced all of their events. And that was actually such a fun, fun, like project and client to get to have, because we were in turn able to work with other big brands. We got to produce an event for uh, Windship Trading and their catalog of stuff. So that was cool because going along with what you said about bopping around to the different spots and someone's got this set up, someone's got that set up. We were able to activate like a little something for all of the stuff that Windship Trading has. And that was really cool. They had like Grav Labs in there doing their own thing. Like that was fun. So working with Cannabition was awesome. Now I love getting to work with Select and Cura Leaf because they are 100% compliance at all times. And they're also creating really innovative products that make sense for the future of consumption. Like going back to the dosing thing, they have a product out right now, which I consume every single day, which is called Select Squeeze. And this isn't really like a plug. I'm just kind of, I really do consume it every day. And it's a- I love it. It's a container that's like a little bottle. You actually squeeze the bottle and it only gives a five milligram dose of the liquid. So then you can Mm. put it in any mocktail that you want. And that's kind of how I've been surviving. I stopped drinking alcohol maybe like six or eight months ago and six months ago and going out, not having drinks or just like wanting a drink during whatever at the end of the day, it's been so awesome to get to consume a THC beverage now instead. Okay. Can not related to me at all, but oh my gosh, those little, they're the best. They're so good. Yes. And, you know, we went on like a a crew trip to Sedona and someone had cans and it was just so awesome to get to drink those. And it'd be, um, you know, like you're participating, you know, and you're getting a buzz and it's a good buzz and you're not going to feel bad the next day. So consuming cannabis beverages, this is like totally a side note from what my favorite events were, but any event where I get to consume cannabis beverages has been one of my favorites lately. No, I love all of that. I think it just shows obviously the spectrum of where events and hospitality are transitioning to create this experiential space for the cannabis industry, whether it's truly consuming on property or highlighting a brand. I mean, like highlighting Windship, like you said, like their breadth of products. I mean, they're wholesale catalog of, like you said, Grav. I know they carry a bunch of other different brands. And so to be able to see these brands activate and be participating in kind of like that capacity to, again, the membership kind of drives, I think shows the professionality that the industry is really trying to, I think, create and coexist with the culture of cannabis. And I am a really big advocate for the culture as well as this professionalization of the industry. And so you just highlighting, you know, this event at a restaurant that is not, you know, exclusive to cannabis. It's very open to, I mean, the mayor's going there, right? You're kind of bringing in this clientele, this conversation, this awareness into kind of like the public space of just like, yeah, we're professionals and we meet and we need membership. And we're, you know, we're just like any other industry, I guess is the whole summation of what I'm really getting from kind of where you're existing. It's like taking all these things that other industries, other brands, other businesses have access to, and then parlaying it into cannabis, which does have more regulation and nuances. I mean, kind of a final question I have, because we kicked it off a little bit. And I'm just curious from the brief understanding that I know about the way that, you know, Nevada and, and Las Vegas in particular are operating. 
when you mention the restaurant that is hosting this membership drive, for example, I mean, I know there are certain limitations for, like you said earlier, where you can put certain cannabis events, kind of just like, you know, a high level pulse of how cannabis has been embraced in the city. You know, do you see hotels embracing it? Kind of the sentiment that I experienced just being there for MJ Biz was, you know, don't bring your bag branded with the dispensary you just walked in into the hotel lobby. Cause if they see it, you know, like it's super big for tourism, but obviously they don't also want you consuming in your hotel room. But if I'm consuming a can or something like I'm not smoking in my hotel room. And so I just, I see this excitement and also this separation very clearly defined of how close dispensaries can be to the strip and things like that. And so I'm just curious again, high level from your perspective, how the introduction and legalization of cannabis and now the extension of consuming on premise has either helped or hurt the tourism industry at large in Las Vegas. I think that cannabis becoming legal in Las Vegas has absolutely helped the tourism, but until now, there really hasn't been anywhere to consume legally. So it's what you said, like you can't even walk, some hotels, you literally cannot walk in with a bag. Like I'm not going to name which hotel, but my friends were staying at one of the luxury properties on the strip recently, and they were literally said they cannot bring the weed in. And I forget because I came from nightlife and then have been in the cannabis industry for so long. Like I literally tried to walk. Okay. So this club's closed. So I'll say it. I tried to walk into chaos at the Palms and it was the middle of the day. I was actually having brunch at a different venue there. And the guy was like, okay, you can't, I had like three eighths in my bag. And he's like, you can't walk in with that. And I was like, well, I can't. And I just like forgot, you know, that like you literally can't. So if I make that mistake, I can imagine, right. yeah, that every single person who flies into town is like, we're going to Vegas because weed's legal. And like these laws get passed and people hear cannabis is legal in Las Vegas. They don't know that that doesn't mean X, Y, Z. The 16 right, exactly. laws that we know about that they don't know about. So headlines pass. Weed is legal in Vegas. So people are now traveling here and we haven't been able to provide them the safe legal place to consume so far. You know, you don't really get hassled if you're consuming because, I mean, it's obviously happening. But we did um, a survey of like all of the Fremont Street businesses when we were working with the city of Las Vegas to get the, the original consumption bill passed in 2017 and 18. And every single business was like, how often, or, you know, like sometimes always, often, always do you smell cannabis? They're like, always. How often do you see someone consuming cannabis? Always. Like it was, you know, it's everywhere here now. And so now we're just excited to get to blend it and kind of make it have more of an Amsterdam vibe where brands get to have their products showcased in a cool way, in an experiential way, inside a venue that feels like you're at a nightclub. You know, like we're ready for that next phase now to be able to do this the the legal way. I'm not going to say the right way because I have been to so many cool ass parties that were done just fine, you know, and they are great. But now we're going to get to do it legally and we're going to get to activate uh, an entirely new branch of tourism that hasn't really, we've yet to see, you know, like I said, a lot of what our company was built to do, we're just now getting to do where along the way we were doing what we could, you know, with maximum compliance in mind with this, which is how we always work. Again, sometimes the events weren't always the coolest ones in the sense of like getting away with what you're allowed to do. 
But now we're excited to get to do like things to the max and like really get to even participate with other members of the other industries here in Las Vegas. You know, once it gets like fully legal, other industries are going to become activated that were never allowed to participate in a, with us to produce cool events. You know, it's even getting to work with new event vendors and all of that is going to open up once we have more, you know, more regulations that, again, we don't want more regulations, but once we have them, then at least we know what we're allowed to do. So... Again, I really find this conversation so fascinating because yes, you have the legal recreation cannabis market that is kind of slowly introducing the opportunity to obtain a hospitality license or for on-premise consumption. Of course, if you've tuned into previous episodes, specifically with Chris from the 420 Hotels, we talked about the different types of licenses and using Denver and Nevada as these two like very heavily trafficked states for cannabis. The reality is just because it's legal to purchase there, unless you have private property, the consumption part is where this new law is kind of unfolding. And then if you flip the script and kind of look at the open nature and openness of the federal legal hemp market, you know, no, CBD in theory is not going to get you high or really in actuality, but you know, that consideration of, wow, well, when I'm dosing or infusing these cannabis products into food or creating events, which I see, I participate, I've done cannabis dinners here in Texas, hemp dinners with our products and for our you know community. And I've attended different kind of cannabis cups and cannabis events where you're consuming cannabis on the property. And it's just, it's so interesting because it's so fresh and there's not really a There's not really a guideline for how much, how to operate, how do you train a staff to interact with an audience that is consuming cannabis? How do you educate an audience? I love when Jen was talking about, you know, kind of learning. This is something new. We have to learn how to establish this, how to structure, how do we kind of pay attention more to people who are interacting at our events. So if you're an event coordinator, planner, a business owner who wants to put on cannabis events, just kind of like tucking that back in your mind and just being considerate of how does this evolve safely? I don't think that this is not something that we're going to see be adopted in the cannabis industry, but I think safety and like establishing boundaries and parameters is going to be really important. So Hope you enjoyed this episode as somebody who comes from experiential and event marketing and consumes cannabis and loves to go to events herself. This is, like I said, only going to continue to be more of the norm. And these conversations are what I believe is going to help shape how we adopt and evolve as these things continue to be more popular. So as always, thanks for keeping it blunt with me. I'll be back with another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast next Monday and encourage you to keep championing cannabis in your community. Bye y'all. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadaturabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadaturabi.com.